the, um, I guess, advantages as well as disadvantages of, uh, of preaching on a Sunday is I have the opportunity, following what I've shared, to attempt to live it out. Because um, I've set out a standard now, I've got to live by that standard, and I endeavor to do that all the time. I'm saying that by way of background, as we talked last week, kind of laid a foundation as we looked at the election, and any election really, how we are to vote. And we talked about the fact that for those of you that are citizens of the United States, such as I am, either because you were born here or because you have gone through a process of naturalization, we have the, we have the, 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 the freedom, the privilege of voting. And as a citizen of the United States, I have the freedom to vote whatever my opinion is. So I may like this candidate, you may like the other candidate, and we just, I'm going to vote whatever I want, you vote whatever you want. And as citizens of the United States, we have that privilege. But I shared with you, according to the Bible, that once you become a Christian, once you've committed your life to Christ, and once you've received Him in your life and as your Lord, you no longer have that freedom. As a citizen of the United States, you have that freedom. As a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you have a higher responsibility to a higher authority with a higher purpose, and that's no longer to vote your opinion, but to vote according to the values and the purposes of the kingdom of God, which are set forth by the king himself. And so as we talked about this last week, we talked about we can't vote personalities. We talked a little bit how we don't even know what the personalities are like. But that's so often what people vote. I like this person, I don't like this person. And these debates, by and large, and the ads are personality contests. And we went back and traced the history of some of that last week. Um, but today, we're going to look at what we talked about last. We need to look at this election in terms, of the, the, in terms of what the parties stand for, the candidates stand for, and how they line up with God's values and God's purposes. So I did, a, I did an interesting thing. I, I, I went through both parties' platforms, and it opened my eyes to some things. And so I've spent a good deal of time this week praying, which is what I told you to do last week. So I came in, it's easy to come into these things with our minds made up, but I'm asking you this morning to set your mind aside and to let God talk to you. Now, some of you are getting uptight right away. Just listen. Listen to what God wants to say to you, because I'm not going to do what you think I'm going to do. Today, we're going to look at His values as He values things compared to the issues in this election. I may read through most of my notes because there's a lot I want to cover today and I've written some of this out very precisely. It is a note you can download now. I purposely did not publish them yesterday because I wanted you to hear what I had to say today. Today we're going to look through these values as compared to the, his values as compared to the issues, some of the issues in this election. And this is the most important thing. We're going to learn today how to navigate through these issues and come to a conclusion. And it's so important because this is not the only election we will ever face. These are not the only issues as Christians we will ever face together. And we need to learn how do we look at, address, and navigate the issues that are in our society, the issues that are in our culture, the issues that are in our government as Christians together. Which doesn't mean we're going to always agree, but whether we agree is not important. It's whether we do it together. We'll talk more about that a little later on. So my purpose is not to tell you who to vote for, but to teach you how to represent God's kingdom in the issues of life. And this election, this election specifically, is a very good training ground for us of how to grow together as Christians. These lessons that we're going to talk about today and the, and the principles I want to teach you today go beyond this election and the issues of this election. If we can get this right, these things right, we'll know how to approach everything in life. That may seem very simple to you. It's the application of it that's the problem because we have our own viewpoints, we have our own prejudices, and we have our own limited understanding. So regardless of who wins this election, God's purposes for His church and how we relate to them and to each other will not change. I want to repeat that again. Whoever, regardless of who wins this election, God's purposes for His church and how we are relate to these issues and to one another will not change. 
regardless of who wins, the church will still be here on November what, 4th or whatever the next day is. And the church will still have God's purpose and the church will still have God's presence and the church will still have God's word. God's instructions to the church are the same before the election and after the election. But we, what we have is the opportunity to learn from this process what will determine what God's going to be able to do through us going forward. I want to read that again. We have an opportunity, just like we do Wednesday night. The things that divide us, that Satan uses to divide us, are opportunities for us to grow. If you've been married for more than a year, you find that out. Because I don't want to shock you, but Anita and I do not agree on everything. We don't even see most things the same way. But that's not to divide us, that's to bring us together. Because it's teaching us, and I haven't mastered this yet, that she may see and understand things from a perspective that I'm blind to. And that I may see things and understand things from a perspective that she's blind to, but together we can get a whole picture. That's why we're going to talk a little bit about this later on. God took a a man who understood... God took one man, Adam, and who was... I don't want to get into this this morning. He was both male and female. He saw things exactly as God saw them, and God said, that's not good. And so God separated out of that man his female parts, not physically, but well, yeah, but also more how he sees things. And then God said, that's good. Now he made those two one again, so they have to work out the issues of life, seeing issues from a totally different perspective. And God used that, designed that, as a way to to example for the church and example for the world what he's like. But the church, where, and most marriages, have failed at this because we hold on to our point of view, we hold on to our interest, we hold on and we create this polarization in a marriage where the more she says this, the more I dig into my issues, the more she digs in. And so by the time they come for marriage counseling, they're out here throwing darts at each other. And the goal is to bring them back together where they were to begin with and begin to see things and treasure what the other person sees because whatever she sees, I'm blind to. We used to do an exercise years ago where we'd stand in a room back to back and we'd get into this argument about what was in the room and she said, well, no, there's a painting in the room. I said, no, they're not. There's a door in the room. And we go back and forth about this and people begin to laugh because they could see the whole picture. We're both right. And this is what we do in life. But this is what we do as a church. So we look at these issues and say, well, that's a, that's a Republican issue. So I'm not going to listen to him. Because I know he's white, he's old, this is where he's coming from. And so what I had to do this week is to take these issues and do what I've told you to do, to go into prayer about them. And the answer God gave me surprised me. But it's the truth and it's the Word of God. I want to start with this. To speak for God and to declare what's important to Him is a fearful thing. To stand in front of you and in front of whoever's watching online and to say, this is what's important to God and this is more important to God than this is, is a fearful thing because I'm speaking on His behalf. So I'm sharing that with you because even this morning, even during worship, I was praying, God, please let me speak your heart and your will this morning. If I sincerely want to exercise my responsibility as a citizen of God's kingdom, there's two basic things I have to do to begin with. One, I have to open my heart to be willing to hear truth. Be willing to hear truth and that may be principles or concepts that I I don't like because I may not be right about everything. And if I may not be right about everything, you may not be right about it. In fact, I'll guarantee this. You're wrong about something. And I'll guarantee this. I'm wrong about something. And God had to correct me about something this week. But He could do it because I was willing to humble myself and say, God, I really do want what you want. Because here's what Christians so often do. They take their issue, 
that they have a stake in. And usually that comes because of our background, our experiences, and you'll see this as we go through these exercises today. They take what is the issues, the values that are important to them, and then we go to the Bible and we wrap the Bible around those issues. And we promote those, this is what matters to God. And I don't want to see these other issues because obviously I've made a decision, these are what's important to God. But then you've got part of the church that's over here saying, but this is the issue that's important to God. And they find things in the Scripture and then they wrap the, the Bible around those issues and we, they end up over here and we end up over here upset and mad at each other and we're both right. Because we're not looking at it from God's perspective. We're looking at it from our judgment about what's most important to Him. Now in order to let go of that, you have to humble yourself and be willing to put aside what's important to you before you can hear what's important to God. And before you make that decision, listen to this scripture that says, God resists the proud. So you could be entirely right on what you're holding on to, but if you're holding on to it because you're so determined you're right, and you're not willing to let God speak to you about something somebody else believes, then you're in pride and God is resisting you even though you may be right. But He gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, I need His grace and I cannot afford to have God resisting me even if I'm basing what I'm saying on Scriptures. So if you've made up your mind without sincerely listening for what you don't like and what you don't agree with, you are closing your heart to God. Now some of you are very nervous right now, and that's good. Our views that we wrap the Bible around are strongly influenced by our background and the things we've experienced in life and the things that our background has experienced in life, they form our values and it's also influenced by who and what we listen to because voices are speaking to us. And there's some, there's some issues and voices I turn off because I don't want to hear them because they, 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 they might make me think. <laughs> I may not like where I think they're going. This is what happens in a marriage because when you've been married very long, what happens is she'll start saying certain things and because I've lived with her for 53 years, I think I know where she's going with it. So instead of listening to her, I jump ahead to where she's going and I'm already preparing my answer for it. That's not listening. And we do that with other things besides just in marriage. We do that with these issues. And I'm not asking you to listen to the Democrats and say they're right. I'm not asking you to listen to the Republicans and say that. I'm asking you to listen to God this morning. Because what we're looking for is, God, what is important to you? Because as Christians, that is our main responsibility. So if I'm to vote God's kingdom, I have to hear from Him what's most important. And that's what I endeavored to do this week in prayer. And I, I listened to all, watched all kinds of, of teachings on this subject by preachers that I respect highly. I went through the party's platforms and I've come to this conclusion. Neither party, neither candidate fully represents what we're going to talk about this morning. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through some of the major issues and hold them up to the lens Hold them up to the lens of God's values and God's purposes. And by doing that, my hope today is to give each of us a framework of thinking of how to approach these issues to decide what we do. So as I said, I started, finished my message last week and I felt like I got out what God wanted to do and now I felt God began to take my message and preach it back to me saying, son, now you talked about going the issues and what's important to me. Why don't you go through the party's platforms and see how they measure up with me? And it opened my eyes to some things. 
I went through and looked at a, a, a special teaching that the pastor of the church, when, we were, when we've been in Florida, we've gone to this regularly. Great man of God, great church. And he had a special message on, on, on voting in this election for Christians. And he went through four basic issues. And I was there right on. Yes, amen, that's right, these are right. Until I read through the party's platform that he was not talking about, and I saw issues in there that were just as important to God, and he never mentioned them. And that woke me up. It's not that he was wrong, but he was only looking at it from one particular point of view. And what we want to learn to do, we must do, is be open to look at it from God's point of view. Now I think I got most of you nervous. Okay, good. I'm nervous too. So what is this lens? What is it that's so important to God? I'm just going to name off a bunch of issues. We're not going to get to go through all these because, and I wish I had more time, but unfortunately we've scheduled a speaker next week and it's going to work fine. So you've got abortion. This is what he talked about. Abortion, God's concept of marriage. Um, He talked about Israel and he talked about uh, religious freedom. But there's also social justice. There's the economy. There's caring for people, the poor. There's health care. There's the environment. And there's and, and, and a lot of other issues. Each party endorses some issues that reflect God's value and some issues that don't. But here are, here's God's lens. The most important issues to, issue to God above everything else is souls. Amen. And neither party stands for the salvation of souls. All the other issues are temporal issues. They will come and go. Whether we have adequate health care or not is important, but, but that'll come and go. Well, how well the economy does, that's important, but that will come and go. But souls is an eternal issue. And so in God's perspective, neither of them have hit the real issue. And I understand there may be reasons why they, they don't think they can do that. However, there is a lens that God does give us. God has shown us His perspective, His lens. You understand what a lens is? A lens is what allows you, what you look through. Some of you are looking at me through glasses. That's what allows you to see me clearly. But we have other kind of lenses, other kind of glasses. We have, I have a pair of sunglasses that are polarized. You know what that is? They're, they're designed so light, light going in one direction gets through, but not in the other direction. So if you've ever gotten out on a, on a sunshiny day over water, and then you turn the lens like this, all of a sudden it gets brighter. Why? Because it filters out certain of the light rays. And, and we wear lenses when we look at issues. We wear lenses when we look at people, and they filter out things we either don't like or we don't agree with. So we have to take off our Polaroid lenses and put on clear lenses that allow us to see issues the way God sees them. So let's go to Matthew 22, if you can put that up there. Matthew 22, 35. This is Jesus speaking. And Jesus tells us, I only say what I hear my Father say, and I only do what I hear my Father do. So we're going to hear right now from Jesus the two only things the two foundational things that are important to God the Father. And he looks at every issue of life through these two issues. How do they measure up with these and how well do they support them? And, and I start out by not liking this because he picks on lawyers again. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question. That's what he gets for it. Testing him. That's why he's off. Saying, Teacher, Which is the great commandment in the law? Because undoubtedly he wants to get into some debate. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Next verse. This is the first and great commandment. Primary. Next verse. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Next verse. On these two commandments hangs everything. Everything that supports... You ever see these suspension bridges? You've got, there's one in Boston now. There's a, this huge stanchion on this side and stanchion on this side. And there's cables that hang down from them. And the road that we drive over is 
attached to these cables, but what holds that bridge up are these two stanchions and everything in that bridge is able to do hangs from the foundational support of those two stanchions because they're bedded in the, in the, in the rock bed of that river over which that bridge goes. And these are the two stanchions on which God hangs everything. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul, with all your might. And the second one is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The two great values that God has through which He looks at everything is how things value, how we value Him, and how we value one another. To love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus gave the church, Jesus reduced this, Jesus gave the church one commandment, to love one another as I've loved you. Now listen to this. God views each of these issues only through these two values. So first of all, we need to look at them in terms of how they, their position honors, reverences, respects, and loves God. Does it recognize Him as the Creator of all things? It doesn't mean you have to have it in the platform. Does it acknowledge that He is the Creator? The founding documents of this nation did that. We hold these truths to be self-evidence. What? Our Creator has endowed us with. One nation under God recognize Him as the Creator of all things that they will administer? Do they recognize Him as the source of His authority? We'll talk about this down the road because we're not going to end this subject now because there's some things this opens up about about how do we relate to the government. And Romans 13 says, all authority comes from God. It doesn't come from the people. It comes from God who is delegated to the people, but it comes from God. And, uh, and somebody in, in, in office needs to understand and recognize that the authority I'm exercising came from God and that will give them the fear of God with which to exercise that authority on God's behalf, on behalf of people. Number three, do they recognize their need for His wisdom and for His guidance and do they give honor to Him? Somebody that doesn't do that is a scary leader and we're seeing the results of that in both parties. So the first thing is we need to look at how, the, how do these candidates, how do these issues relate? How, what is their view of God's involvement in what they do? Number two, God values people. He doesn't value things. He doesn't value issues. He only values things and issues in terms of how they benefit people. But here, here's where we miss it. God values all people. I'm going to say that again. God treasures and values and considers precious every person. Each person has been made by Him in His image. And each person is precious enough that He gave them His image. He didn't give His image to any other creation. He didn't give His image to, to inanimate objects. He didn't give His image to animals. One of, the, one of the deceptions of this world right now is the line between human beings and animals is getting blurred. There's actually teaching in some colleges that there's some forms of animals that are higher than some forms of humans. He cares about programs, issues, elections, etc. only in terms of how they affect people. All people. In Matthew 25, we looked at this back when we were looking at, uh, at the series before this, when Jesus said about, about bearing one another's burdens, about, about His uh, commandment to follow Him and to love one another. We saw in Matthew 25, Jesus said, the way you treat the least of these is your treatment of Me. And He talked about the least of these. 
So let us begin to apply these two lenses to some of these issues and see how, how we can do this. So let's talk. These are all hot issues, which really I've never gotten into from this pulpit. Number one, abortion. One party says that a woman has a right over her own body. That sounds good. And therefore what, has a right over her own body and whatever comes out of it. The other party says that that at the moment that li- the other party says that at the moment of conception a new life was formed so that an abortion is the taking of human life. So how do we apply this lens? So if that fetus is a living being, then God values that life above the right of that woman. That life at the moment of conception according to this view now belongs to him and it's no longer her right to end it because God has a superior right over that life. However, in order to avoid this issue, what's happened is, is that our society has redefined exactly what that is in her womb so that it's no longer a human life, it's a fetus, it's tissue. And if it's a, something other than a human life, then we have the right to destroy it the same way we would an ant or a spider or a mouse. But we have to redefine what that is in order to be able to treat it in a way other than God. So the question is, how does God see what's in her womb? Does God see that as a piece of tissue that hasn't become a human being yet? Or does God see that as a human being in her womb. So let's look at what God's Word says. Psalm 139, verse 13. The psalmist said, You formed me, where? My inward parts, and you covered me in my mother's womb. Next verse. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous, marvelous are your works that my soul knows well. Verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when it was in secret, that's the womb, and was skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. That's a reference to the womb. Next verse. My eye, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written. They were fashioned for me when as yet there was none of them. Jeremiah chapter 1, the next this is, the, this is God speaking to Jeremiah when he commissioned him into ministry. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you as a prophet to the nation. Jeremiah was called and ordained while he was in his mother's womb. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit while he was in his mother's womb. How could God fill an inanimate object, a piece of tissue with the Holy Spirit? How could God call? God sees that in the womb at the moment of conception as a human being. I'm going to tell you a a, a very brief story quickly and I've got to be careful of time. And I, I, I wish I, I didn't have the chance to talk to, to this child to, to, to share this with you, but I'm going to trust this. One of our children just found, had found out recently that his wife was pregnant and was excited. But when they went to the doctor and put the ultrasound on, my son changed. He saw a heartbeat. He saw this child begin to move a little bit, just small, And I've never heard him talk like this. He was in awe of seeing this human life in in his wife's womb. All you have to do is see it. So if that is a human being, then the right of God over that life overrides the right of that woman or those parents or or society to eliminate that. Now, one party agrees with that. But we have another issue that I found in the other platform that I didn't find as strongly in the one platform, and that's social justice. One party emphasizes the just and fair treatment of all men, especially those who've been mistreated historically based on the color of their skin. 
The other party, although it acknowledges it, doesn't emphasize this as important as others. Now, as with the word abortion, the word justice are, are politically charged terms. And we have to learn to listen through all that that means because it triggers off all kinds of ideas. So let's begin to look at this through God's eyes. This is very important. Justice in God's eyes is treating every person the way God would treat them. With the dignity of being created by Him in His image. Both as individuals and as a group of people. So justice starts as this foundational value that every person, black or white, red, green, purple, whatever, is uniquely precious to God because He made that person in His image. And therefore, God treats them with dignity. And justice is treating everyone with the dignity that they deserve simply by being somebody that's precious to God. Now listen to this. So, as with abortion, in order to mistreat the race of people, we have to redefine them. So in order to permit the taking of a child in the mother's womb, what we've done is redefined whether that's a human being. But in order to put down a group of people based on the color of their skin, we have to redefine them as something other than first-class human beings. So here's what I want you to see. Here's these two emotional issues. But in God's eyes, it's the same issue. It's not valuing a human life because it's made in God's image. And the moment we get away from God as the source of our value and God as the creator and God as the one who is in head of this kingdom, we, have the, we now begin to play with the definitions of that thing is in our way or that person that's in our way. I want you to get that because where we're going to end up, that's key. You take God out of the equation and we start redefining everything to fit what we like and don't like. But when God's in the equation, now we're subject to what He likes. We may not like it, we make mistakes, but if He's in that place, we can be called back by Him to what's important to Him. Often when we're demanding justice, it's either for us or for people we embrace as needing justice, the people that matter to us. But when we're, but we're blind to similar acts of injustice, because the group that's affected there are not as important to us. So often those fighting abortion are executing God's love for this defenseless unborn child who has a great value to Him, but they don't recognize the same exact care that God has for a human being who has a different color skin as being treated without dignity that God would give him. I hope you're getting this. Likewise those, likewise, those fighting for justice recognize the dignity that they don't often recognize the dignity that's required by God for the unborn. So the same hearts that redefine life, where life begins, also can redefine the value of a man based on the color of his skin. Let's move on to another subject quickly, because time is running short. Marriage. After God created man in His image, He created the institution of marriage. We just talked a little bit about that. Here's what God said He was created. A man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave or be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. That's Genesis 2.24. In Romans 1, God addresses His view, He addresses His view of any attempted union of the same sex as a perversion of His creation. This is what He says. Sexual identity. Genesis 1.26. Let's put that up. This is important. And God said, again, we're coming back to what God said. What has God created? God created this, so He writes the rule books. And our leaders, our issues, how we approach them, have to line up with the rule book that God created because God knows what He wants done. 
and we don't do it His way. It doesn't work, and we're living with the results of that today. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Again, He's the only, we're the only creation He made in His likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God invested himself in this special creation And he made them male and female. He made them physically different for the purpose of being able to be fruitful and multiply his correction, his his creation. And any other purpose other than that is perversion. Even to the point that God says, if a man, I'm not going to spell this out because maybe some children listening, if a man spills his seed on the ground, that's sin because it's not using it for the purpose for which God intended it. When we take sex outside the bound of marriage, we're taking something God designed for us outside of the purposes for which God designed it, and that's perversion, and it becomes destructive. Within the boundaries and the rules God provided, it's life-producing in more ways than one. Another issue, we don't have time to go into all these. Israel, most people don't think about this issue. But God does. God created this people and this nation for Himself. And when He did, He called them His firstborn. He treated them as His son. They didn't treat Him as a father, but He treated them as a son. He blessed them and promised to bless those that would bless them and to curse those with curse them. Genesis 12. He chose Israel, Jerusalem, as His own city. And has promised that when Christ comes back to the earth, that's where He's coming. That's where He's going to establish His millennial reign. We are told to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. As Christians, we're grafted in to the nation of Israel. Romans chapter 9. We're one with them. So how any nation or how any church treats Israel and Jerusalem directly affects God's treatment of this. So we have to look at the candidates and the, and the platforms in terms of whether that's valuable to them or not, because it's valuable to God, and therefore it should be valuable to us. Now there are many other issues that are important to God, which we just don't have time to get into. Caring for the poor and the needy. That's always in the top of God's list. So what do you do with health care? And I don't have an answer for you. Other than we can't just dismiss it as economically unfeasible. Many of these issues the government's trying to wrestle with because the church has failed to do what we're responsible to do. The primary responsibility for taking care of the need is the church. It's not the government. The government, by and large, does not do a good job of taking care of social needs and personal needs. It stands in where the church has failed. The government has a responsibility. We'll talk about that in a few weeks with the relationship of church and state and what our role is in relation to the government. The economy. God cares about that because the economy affects how our well-being. Those of you that have ever lost a job know just what I'm talking about. And we've got a nation that's piling up unpayable debt and we just keep piling up debt and piling up debt and piling up debt and we're leaving a legacy to the next generation that can't be paid but on the other hand it's trying to do that because in many cases we're trying to take care of financial and social needs that, that we have to spend money to do and I know there's a lot of nothing's wrong with how we do it I'm just getting down to the core things God cares about then there's the environment we're stewards over this earth God, we just saw it, and we could look up more scriptures. God made us stewards over this earth. But does that mean we're governed by it? Does that mean that's the predominant thing that we have to care about? In every issue, and this is what I want you to see, in every issue, in every issue, where man's policies 
and values and purposes have varied from God's, man has had to do two things. Redefine a portion of mankind other than being made in God's image. And in some way, number two, remove God from his existing or being relevant to it. So it all comes back to this. What's wrong in all these issues when they get off track is we remove them from underneath God's authority, God's value, and God's purposes. And wherever you do that, man goes berserk. Man starts defining things, redefining things, changing things, because now he's doing it to fit his own agenda and his own purposes. So where do we end up with all this? I'll tell you where I ended up with out of prayer. My conclusion is that my responsibility is to listen to all these things and care about them. If I don't care, then I'm not hearing. If I, don't, if I just dismiss something my wife says and say, yep, 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 I've not cared enough to listen to her. Even though I may not agree with her, I need this like we're going to do Wednesday night. I need to be touched with her care. So if some of these issues I talked about today, you're just not important to you, then you need to reevaluate where your heart is towards what's important to God. Because if God cares about them, then certainly we should at least be touched with them. And here's what's challenging, because if one party had all of this lined up just right, even if it were not your party, you'd be obligated to vote for that. But unfortunately, it's not that simple. Neither party has it all right. Neither candidate has it all right. And I've known Christians before that said, I don't like either candidate, I'm not voting. We addressed that last week. That's abdicating your responsibility. Just because I don't want to pray enough. I don't want to find out what God wants me to do. So here's where I came out after prayer, of seeking God with what, what's most important. Both parties support some of these issues and purposes, and both parties don't support others. Whoops. But when we get away from God's kingdom, His purposes, and discounting who God is and what His, His authority is over us, and redefining what He's made us to be, then I cannot support that. I cannot support a program that does acknowledge God's right. I'm not saying establishing Christianity is, is a religion. But you've got candidates, not just national, but but local candidates sometimes, that they, don't, they want to exclude God from everything. And we're where we are because we've excluded God from most things. So the position, and I'm not, they don't have to be believers. It's simply acknowledging that God is supreme, that we have a responsibility to God to try to govern people fairly and honestly. And may, they all get that wrong, how they do that. But if you don't start out by acknowledging God's place, then you'll never po- ever get to His goals, His values, and His principles. And it's how they see the church. And it's not just the Christian church. It's the freedom of religion, which is one of the foundational principles on which this government was, was founded. Many people came over here seeking religious freedom, and in Massachusetts and Rhode Island and the 13 colonies, founded on religious freedom. And if the church is the only hope, it's not the government, it's not laws. If the church is the only hope for, for God through Christ to change people's hearts, because legislation is needed, but it's the change of hearts, because you can have, when we went through the civil rights laws that were changed in the 1960s, they, the law was changed but the people administering them, their hearts weren't changed, so they still administered them with the same heart they had before the law was changed. And only the church, which is the presence of Christ on the earth, only the church can affect change. From the birth of the church 2,100 years ago, it has been the only institution in the world's history that has brought dignity into nations. Nations have come and gone. The most powerful nation, one of the most powerful nations ever existed was Rome. It's long gone. I'm not talking about what's there now. Long gone. 
in the church they tried to stamp out in the beginning, 200 years later, the, ch- the government became a Christian church, a Christian government. So the church is the only hope this nation has. So the candidate's position on the church, to me, is critical. I've said my piece. The church is the only force for godly change in this nation. The church is the only consistent major force in history for the dignity and justice for all people. I'm not saying we've done it well, but it's the only force that exists for that purpose. We have failed in this country in many ways, but there are candidates who do not want to see the church have a voice. And if that happens, God's values and purposes will be tremendously restricted. Close with two final thoughts. Remember, you're not just voting for a president, you're voting for a vice president. And you have to consider the vice president because we've had several times in the history of our nation where the president didn't survive and the vice president took over. And I'll end you with this, which I'll probably begin with after the election. Most people vote based on fear. What's sold to us in the campaigning, what's sold to us to try to raise money is the fear of what's going to happen to us if the other guy gets elected. We're going to lose something. We're going to lose our money. We're going to lose our rights. We're going to lose this. So we vote against somebody instead of for someone. And that's fear-based. And guess who's the author and the manipulator of fear? That is Satan. So whatever conclusion you come to, do not allow... I'll give you a great example, and I'm not supporting one or the other. Some of you were not alive back then. But Lyndon Johnson was elected as, as Kennedy's vice president in 1960. We talked about that election last year. We all know Kennedy was assassinated in 63. So Johnson, the vice president, with a very different agenda, took over. Although in some ways he tried to carry out Kennedy's agenda, at least for civil rights. In 1964 then, he ran for president on his own. And he ran against a conservative from Arizona named Barry Goldwater. And the, the, the Vietnam War was at its height. And remember I told you last week that in the, in the t- presidential debate of 1960 with Kennedy and Nixon, the, the political pundits learned something, that it's image, not substance. The, the, the television ad that turned the election around had no words. Some of you will remember it. It showed a little girl sitting in a field, this innocent little girl, for I don't know how many seconds, and then it switched off and it showed an atomic bomb going off and a mushroom cloud coming up. And the clear message is, if you elect Goldwater, we're going to have nuclear war. Fear. Fear. And that's just a small sample of even what we see today. So whatever you sort through these issues, however you, and pray through them, that's what I did this week. I'm not telling you to come to my conclusion, I'm just sharing with you the journey that I have prayerfully, with study, gone through. And I had to set aside my own preconceived ideas to be willing to do this. And I believe it was because I was willing to do that, that God showed me this lens that He has of looking at all these issues. And it's so easy to get distracted from them, to pull away from them and get caught up in this thing. But, but what about this and what about this? Yeah, but how does God see that? Is this honoring Him? Is this really caring for people, for what, what matters to Him? Because it's only people that matter to Him. Programs only matter to Him to the, effect, to the extent that they help and benefit people. So where is our heart today? 
Is our heart in fear of what's going to happen to me? That's not God's heart. Because when I'm afraid, it's selfish. I'm going to lose something. My family's going to lose something. Instead of, God, what's going to advance your program? What's going to advance your plans? What's going to advance your values? Even if I don't see it, open my heart to see it. Let's pray. Father, we have laying before us a great responsibility as Christians. It's not our only responsibility. Right now, it's a pressing one. Some of us may have already voted. Some of us, many have already made up their minds. But we're coming to you today, Father, because we're here this morning and we're watching this morning because we sincerely want to please you. You gave your son's life for us. You counted us precious, more precious than your son's life. You love us beyond anything we'll begin to imagine unless maybe when we get to heaven we'll get a glimpse of it. And we want to do your will. Father, most of us struggle with prejudices and preconceived ideas and things from our past and where we've been raised and the family's been raised and that all pull at us and interfere with us. And it's so hard sometimes to put these things aside and really seek what you want. We're asking you to help us to do that, Father. Help us to resist the fear that's being presented to us of what's going to happen if we vote one way or what won't happen if we vote another way. And help us to get a peace down in our hearts about what's right in your eyes. Father, I have tried as best I know how to navigate through these issues, which was not what I intended to do. But I believe I followed your direction. Now I have to trust that we'll hear what you want us to hear. We'll see what you want us to see. And when this is all done, and we come out the other side of the election, help us, Father, to see the far more important issue, which is now how do we relate to one another when this is finished. For all of this, we need your grace, and we need your wisdom. And we need the leading of the Holy Spirit. For these things we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.